0: Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. And today's episode is about love. So I guess we should start, Laura, with thinking about types of love that people experience. I think it's hard to define
1: love in one particular way. I know, like, the most common thing you would think about if you were talking about love is like the intense feelings of attraction like you think about the early stages of a relationship wanting to be with someone all the time and thinking about them obsessively and you know you think about like the biological things that happen lust lust yeah Mm -hmm. um so that's certainly some type of love but then there's like familial love And there's platonic love. And those things are separate from the type of feeling I was describing earlier.
0: I mean, how how would
1: you describe love or define it?
0: I guess I'm interested in thinking about love because I'm a rhetorician, I guess, as a series of languages that we practice. And some of those are communicative in a verbal sense and some of those are physical I think all forms of love have both, you know, their words and then their bodily actions that go along with them, whether it's cradling your newborn child or whether it is sex, you know, with a romantic attraction. So I guess I'm interested in thinking about the kinds of languages that we use to talk about the things that we want to build with other people. So sometimes that's building a family and sometimes that's building a relationship and sometimes that's building a community. And I think that there are love languages that go along with each of those projects. And so for me, when there are people that I love, I want to build things with them. I want to build a podcast, or I want to build a movement, or I want to build a book, or I want to build a series of ideas and practices. So when I think of love, I, th- I think about it as a as praxis, I suppose. So what kind of things accompany love
1: then how do you form a relationship that resembles love or you would describe as a love relationship what does that look like
0: well in season one we talked about intimacy at length and so for me it's hard to have any kind of love of any of the forms without being able to do intimacy work without being able to you know sort of strip away the facade and get real about what people want and what they don't To do together as part of the project of being human. I also think in season one, we talked a lot about play, and I think for me, one of my major languages of love is play. I want to laugh and I want to joke and I want to use sarcasm and I want to be wrong. I think for me, play is a major part of love. Now, that is the case in all of my kinds of love relationships, but I also understand that people have different languages for different parts you know, of the way that they express love. I just think that people are probably really not very good at doing the language of love. And I get think they get frustrated because they don't see how intimacy or play or say trust or friendship or care. I don't think that they know how to talk about those things in ways that are productive, that build. Especially with romantic love, they get stuck in the lust phase and then they burn out. It's, you know, like a jeep getting stuck in the mud. They just spin, 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 spin until they burn out their own motors. That's really interesting because those words that you're using,
1: like intimacy and play, like those things are about other people. Yeah. Like those things are about involving other people in your worldview. And even like trust and even building. Like it's...
0: It's a negotiation. (laughs) Love is a negotiation. Ultimately, adult relationships that have a love component are negotiated moments in relationships. They cannot be self-indulgent interior expressions of the self alone if they're going to, you know, build into something.
1: Right. So I think modern representations of love a lot of times are really egoistic. Uh Actually, love is about the things where, (laughs) like, care caring about other people and the empathy. And I think the individual like feelings of passion, the, the sexual desire and things like that get completed with love when it really requires quite a bit of, of work.
0: Yeah. The poet Octavio Paz has a wonderful quote that I love so much. And he's like, love is an attempt at penetrating another being, but it can only succeed if the surrender is mutual. And I think you're right that a lot of the contemporary, especially mediated representations of what we call romantic love are totally self-focused and do not provide adequate scripts for people to use to help negotiate and build the kinds of trust that you would need to, to actually have a relationship that existed over, over time. Whether or not that relationship still continued to be romantic or not, I just think people get stuck in the last part and can't actually find the words that represent what they need or want, and they feel like they can't talk about them. And the longer that that goes on, where people feel like they can't say the things that they need or want, the less likely the romantic relationship is to succeed. You know, I just, I feel like the language part is, is super important. I also feel like we've talked a lot on the podcast about labor and finding the language that helps a romantic relationship unfold is a lot of labor. When people talk about the labor of love or laboring for love, the labor shouldn't be in any part of the relationship really, except for the communication part of it. Because that's where the self is actually revealed. That's where the fears are of rejection. That's where the trauma is of people's past. That's where their limitations are in terms of what they feel like they can give. That's where their sexual desire is expressed or unexpressed. I mean, it's in the communication side of the relationship where things are interesting. And without good cultural scripts, I think it's very difficult for people to imagine or invent the language of love, especially as they get older. I think people who have had fewer actual adult relationships, romantic or otherwise, are really in a tough spot as they age because they don't have access to all of these experiences to draw on to help invent new models of communication that bridge the gap between one person and the other person. I mean, there's a lot of
1: scientific evidence to support that work is a really important component for long-term relationships. Yeah. And just because you're in a long-term relationship someone doesn't mean that love is there necessarily. But, you know, you can predict the longevity of relationships based on how people talk about how they work through conflicts. You can predict whether someone will be in a relationship years down the road based on whether they believe in destiny or not. If you think of love in a way that's like love at first sight or it just happens, rather than thinking, oh, love is something that you work for, you're less likely to be in a relationship down the road. You know, it's like figuring out how to make different parts of your personalities work together, or not? You know, like how to work around that. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, you know, these we're not the same about these things, so it's over.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I think a, as I watch people, you know, get together and break up as an adult person, I am struck at how much the thing that they want are, like, hobbies in common, which seems to me to be, like, the worst way of creating the bridge between another person, because it masks all of the stuff underneath. It's like, oh, we both like to do the X X or Y thing, but ultimately doing the X or Y thing provides a substitution for the kinds of languages and negotiations that really do the relationship building and the negotiation among selves. As I watch people, you know, divorce and think a lot about their relationships, because I get drive-by-gendered about marriage and divorce all the time. I've been stopped in coffee shops all across the state where people uh, will ask me questions about their relationships. And the number one thing that they cannot understand is why they have stopped talking to their partner. And that is not a surprise to me, because that's where the labor is in revealing the self. And asking for what you want. I think people are so afraid of being rejected. And so they can't actually do the work to, to do the growth. You know, they get stuck in a place where they can no longer overcome the silence with productive discourse. I think the other thing, too, is that there's also a tendency on the other side, especially for women who do, let's face it, the bulk of the relationship maintenance in the West, to over-talk things. Um, And I notice this so much right now, that women want to hyper-manage relationship communication. And I think that that also creates a different kind of burden, especially when, when men don't have the communicative tools to overcome the gap. And they talk too much about it and kill the mystery and the play. And so I think healthy relationships that have longevity are able to not take themselves so seriously and talk themselves to death while still creating productive space to negotiate people's wants and desires. I also think people get hung up on the falling in love, lust, early part of love phase. They're thinking in terms of negotiating their desires, and especially their sexual desires. I think that there are terrible scripts for that. I mean, I think people are are particularly bad at it and I'm, i just kind of want to tell people like go read a bunch of books <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. all the answers are in all of the sex like go read the sex books and get some scripts for thinking about what you want as a sexual or as a non-sexual being who's pursuing some sort of relationship with another i agree with that
1: but i also think sometimes relationship management can be at odds with love remaining in a long-term relationship isn't Always an option. All, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's why communication is important too. You can figure out whether remaining in a partnership or a long term relationship is like the right choice for you and that other person. So, relationship maintenance on the face of it seems at odds with love because then it's not associated with those like biological. Not like sure. Yeah. It's des- mature love. Desires. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm still really young, but part of what's defined my relationships or, like, what draws me to a person and, like, builds love or what I would call love in, in a relationship is, like, being able to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in love when I'm learning from someone, but just because of the nature of <laughs> that, like, certain people only have a certain set of experiences. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to be antiseptic about it, but there's diminishing marginal returns like <laughs> yeah. You learn a lot very quickly and that's part of falling in love process. And then as your relationship goes on, there's less yeah. that you can learn from each other and
0: I that's teach why each I other. think it's bad like the, you know, the people who just want to do hobbies together and spend all their time doing the hobbies. Sometimes that can deepen into, you know, like long-term relationships, but often I just see it happening where they collapse into that one thing that they do together and they stop growing and they spend all their time together even though they're not learning anymore. And then the relationship feels super fragile. And so they cling to each other like they're drowning. So they're both just holding each other and sinking together and cannot see that the problem is that they're spending too much time <laughs> together. I always think of it like building a fire. Like if you're going to build a good fire, a campfire, it needs air to breathe. And relationships are that way too. People need space to breathe. People need space to think and calibrate and recalibrate and assess and have experiences that lead them to grow. And so you and I are the same that way, that we... But we also tolerate a higher degree of risk, which we've talked about in other episodes that I think a lot of people don't. I think a lot of people want relationships because they think that the relationship will help them feel secure in an insecure world. But that's an illusion, because there is no security. There's only the self. So the stronger the self is, the more that it can withstand higher degrees of risk and dynamism, which is where the growth is. And that's where the payout is for the interesting relationships that continue to build steam over time. I've always sort of eschewed the security model that is not a thing that I'm looking for ever, really, out of a relationship. It's never a thing. I feel like I find myself in accidental relationships where a friendship develops into something deeper and has more facets to it than I would have guessed. But I also like to do intimacy work, so I'm not super interested in strangers, cultivating strangers so much. I'm interested in how friendship grows in different dimensions. I'm not really interested in how a lack of connection grows that way. Now, that's not to say that I certainly haven't experienced love as a fleeting sort of thing with people who aren't in my life any longer. But I also have been thinking a lot about passion lately. For me, at least, I have a total distrust of passion. (laughs) Maybe it's just because I'm sort of overdeveloped on the rational side of my brain or whatever, or that I have a very real sense of the cost benefits of putting labor into relationships. But I find passion to be very unstable. I find it confusing and destabilizing, and it creates a sense of sort of vertigo in me. I think some people find that intoxicating, but I find it difficult to, to manage. I don't know. How do you feel about passion as part of the equation in building romantic love?
1: Passion is a lot about your own individual desires. I think it can distract you from actually caring about yeah. the other person because you're so caught up in your own
0: Fantasy. And how you,
1: I feel this way about this and you made me feel this way and it's really egoistic and not it's not about the caring for another person which is at the real core of love and relationships I think to really have love in any way requires you to be outside of your own interests yeah it's got to be other outside. focused mm-hmm. passion also in desire and sexual desire of I mean, I think that can be a distraction to love. I think it's important for us to talk about how sex also doesn't equate with love. Oh, yeah. Totally agree with that. I feel feel like a lot of people use sex to alleviate things like loneliness. Sex is a way to feel like you're in love with someone. It can coincide with loving relationships, but it doesn't create them. It could make them possible because maybe like, once you have sex with someone, you feel more open to talking about other things outside of sex. Do you feel like you can fall in love with someone because of sex?
0: No. I flat out no. I do not (laughs) think that at all. But you and I are both so driven by ideas that for me, I am most attracted to people who have sexy ideas. I'm interested in how people talk about themselves and their minds and their experiences. That's one language of love that is extremely compelling to me.
1: Yeah, I feel like sex is too much like about your pleasure. There's some like immediacy.
0: I mean, sex can be one of the languages that love emerges. But for me, it's not the primary space for that. It's just one among many.
1: Why do you think we love? Is that a... Good question to ask, like, why
0: love? It's a relatively new concept, (laughs) historically speaking. I mean, it's most of what is accredited to Plutarch, I suppose, which is relatively recent. I mean, I think that there are reasons why you would want to choose people to build from a space of mutual attraction. That is something that is interesting as a social project. But in the modern moment, there's so much alienation and aloneness and terror of the loneliness of modernity that love becomes an antidote for that in ways that I actually find really problematic. So in other podcasts, I've talked about sentimentality and the sentimentality about love and how I find that nauseating. And problematic and troubling because it creates these scripts and these totally unreasonable expectations about how people should interact around romantic feelings and around building um, relationships. And so I think now people use it for the reason that they've always done it, which is building capital. But I think that that is is papered over with all this sentimentality that is trying to alleviate Really deep, pervasive loneliness, existential loneliness,
1: right? I think the sentimentality
0: aspect of love isn't—it's <laughs> gross. Useful, it's super gross. Keep the but- flowers and the teddy bears. I'm but not I a child. Do
1: you <laughs> think love is like is an important thing to like imbue meaning into life? It imbues meaning into life in a way that you can like care about other people. You yeah, know, like your purpose of life can be about caring about things people like you can love things in the world too hopefully not just material items but uh, you can love you know being with friends or feeling particular ways and caring about other people that's a useful
0: way to extract meaning out of what's apparently you know i mean there is no social justice without love it's like i said in the beginning of the episode romantic love and social love are just two vectors of the way that you care about being alive with other people. And it's hard to be human. It's fundamentally difficult to be a human. And to overcome the constant awareness that no one will ever inhabit your body or your life experiences is, I think, a pervasive part of the way that adults come to terms with their own mortality. I think there's a total value in it, but I think that that value has to move beyond the sentimental romanticizing of love and become the part of love that's socially transformative and that can build strong, healthy communities and strong, healthy people and that can help really heal people from a lot of the pain and trauma that goes along with being human. You know, I think love is one way to do that. I think that's why I've written, I've published a lot about revolutionary love and in thinking through how many revolutionary intellectuals ground their theories of social change in love talk is tremendous. I mean, there would be no 20th century, you know, revolutionary politics without Che Guevara's writings on the, you know, the the new man in Cuba. They're all about revolutionary love. You know, almost all of the post-colonial social movements in the third world are also grounded in love politics. So I think that there is a political side to that where the personal is political is extremely meaningful. It's also, though, about organizing our labor in domestic units, like in thinking about partnership and in sort of the mundane details of capital, but also the larger idea of labor as a bunch of different vectors around emotions and sex and work and care, you know, that take place in the home. What do you think about that?
1: I think that's interesting, but I think very few people think about love in a way that's like, (laughs) you know, as a revolutionary possibility because... I mean, you were talking about the kinds of scripts that people create around love. I mean, I think a lot of times love and relationships are about having a a safe harbor and like social affirmation. People use relationships, you know, for comfort. We were talking about love as a way to alleviate loneliness or like the meaninglessness of life. And that's true, but also I think it traps people in a certain scripts about what it is to be in love i don't think oh yeah i think it's a really it's become a really selfish thing it's created like structures like monogamy that aren't exactly useful monogamy is useful as like an economic structure like it's a lot easier to get things done when you're not worried about you know who's gonna love me and who's being exploited by my love so like as an economic structure makes a lot of sense you wouldn't be able to like create much if you're worried about who's going to be the mother to my child or who's going to help me feel as lonely. Also, so it makes sense, but also it's about you. That Again, it's about you as an individual and that's not
0: that's not love. No, weddings aren't about love. Of the sentimental trappings of monogamy that are the most dangerous, well, the weddings are one of the most horrific parts because people feel compelled to constantly return to that moment as a space to judge the contemporary moment and as a way to capture a moment in the relationship that's being produced almost entirely for social consumption. That seems like a total trap. That's why I think, I mean, that's why I think it's a trap. (laughs) It's a trap, but it's also (laughs) really dangerous
1: to the revolutionary possibilities of love yeah because it's a straitjacket yeah it's a total straight jacket for the relationship yeah it's like about the narratives of love that make you feel comfortable i don't know it in some ways it like produces complacency your wedding day is supposed to be the happiest day of your life and if you're married you're like that's some kind of representation of being happy mm. and being in a relationship and having someone who loves you is, like, conflated with happiness or, like, success and achievement. And that's really dangerous because, you know, once you get married or whatever, you're like, oh, yeah, then I've achieved these milestones and I'm on the right track and I'm doing the right things in my life. And that kind of, I feel like, distracts you from trying to figure out more things about yourself or being interested (laughs) in what's going on in the world around you. It's like, I have my wife and... We're going to have a family. And those are the kinds of things that I'm like working towards. But that's, again, (laughs) that's really selfish. And I think the conflation of being married with happiness and success is really dangerous and subverts the actually transformative possibilities of love.
0: You know, I've been with my partner for like 12 years and we do not socialize together. We don't do work things together. We don't socialize together out in public because neither of us want to be straitjacketed into what other people's expectations of our relationship are, and I like that. <laughs> that's a, that's a prerequisite for a coupling for me is that I'm not an appendage to a husband or something where I'm referred to as his complimentary, you know, mm-hmm. social status object, and so we don't do that, which creates tons and tons of space. For us to reinvent ourselves and time for us to build relationships mm-hmm. with other people that, that make us grow and push us to our limits and, you know, make our lives much richer. I mean, our relationship is set up in such a way that we don't spend a ton of time together. We don't, I'm not, and I'm also not sick of him because I'm not constantly seeing him and doing the same thing and getting bored in a prepackaged routine about what it looks like to be a modern couple in the world. But I have different values. Security is not the thing that I value. And ironically, I probably have more security than most people that I know because I, I don't value it. I'm not trying to chase it so hard. I feel like security is like what happens when you have a little kid who finds a kitten and just chokes it to death with, you know, it's, oh, it's so cute, and I'm just choking it to death. <sighs> I feel like, you know, people who are so – are driven by desperation – towards love and relationships are in the worst possible position to find things that are actually meaningful with other people with the skills to negotiate what a compatible future could be for them. They're in the worst spot to be able to use their imaginations to, to use love as a transformative social Mm -hmm. thrust. You know, that's really interesting because
1: I feel like there's this erosion of, there's erosion of trust and people are like constantly trying to figure out if their partner's cheating on them and now it's like oh, made yeah. even more possible by technology like geolocate phones and parents are even doing it to their teenagers to make sure they don't get too far off the
0: track it's just so much control and surveillance Laura Kipnis has a great polemic called against love which I love so much everybody should run right out and read it and it's all about cheating for me <laughs> I think mean, cheating just seems so ridiculous I would never deny somebody else dessert after dinner, or an extra hour at the gym, or fishing as a hobby, or any of the other things that make them feel alive. I just feel like people should check their fucking egos. Another person's happiness cannot be dependent on your f- sad feelings about the fact that you might be alone. That seems like an untenable, totally unreasonable expectation to put on another person. That they would never emotionally, intellectually, or physically connect with another person for the rest of your life seems like a horrible trade-off. That's I don't know why you would do that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> why it seems
1: like monogamy is at odds with love. Oh, yeah. Because if you really do love someone in a way that you actually care about their feelings and their happiness and them as a separate being... <laughs> from you then you wouldn't want to control them right you would want them to have the maximum number of experiences in the world you would want them to have a rich <laughs> life you would want them to feel more love which is i don't know possible with open relationships and other people and permitting other people into your life as friends or lovers or whatever that seems like a better representation of love than one in which you
0: predicated on only being with each other (laughs) only loving each other tom robbins writes about this a lot Yeah, obviously i've said in other podcasts that he's one of my intellectual gurus i like about how he writes about love especially in jitterbug perfume and even cowgirls get the blues and i like about how he writes about love because he's he talks about love as an outlaw feeling you know, that rather than safety and security being the dominant operationalizations of love, that we should think about aiding and abetting love and trying to help it escape, you know, the sentimental straitjacket of contemporary Western culture, which I like very much. Um, I like thinking about love as a Houdini escape, as something that's always twisting and turning and trying to survive, being flattened by the unreasonable expectations of security and safety that... Americans have created for themselves in this total climate of existential fear that they thrive on, this fear cage, you know, inside of the U.S. borders. I like to think about love as a consensual project (laughs) among equals. And I like to think about it in ways that highlight how love is subversive, probably because that's my orientation in general towards being alive is that I want to subvert the flattening of agency and build power in ways that can help transform people and communities. But I like thinking about love as an outlaw emotion. And I feel sad that other people don't have that as one of the ideas of love that frames their relationships with others. I think it's too often thought of as like
1: a zero-sum yeah thing. You have x units of Mm -hmm. love that you can divide however much and it's okay to give them to what your immediate family or in one spouse or whatever but it's not like they're x units of love in fact if you love more people you have a broader experience of the world
0: you're better at it (laughs) you're simply better at it you want people who are great at playing the guitar to play the guitar lots and play lots of different guitars and play other instruments to be musical. Every other attribute that anybody would ever want to develop for their own personal satisfaction or as a gift to humanity requires practice. Why would we not demand the same of loving? I boggles boggles the
1: mind. (laughs) I boggles the mind. It definitely requires cultivation. And I think that, having more experiences with the world is good for you and I'm like a better partner because you know I've had multiple partners and I don't know you learn different skills from different people I have this like memory that I tell people I was like laying I think on the couch with or I was just laying on the couch and my boyfriend came in and he like picked up a pillow and put it under my head and I was like I would have never thought to do that. And now I kind of, because that happened to me and someone did that for me, I kind of look at other people when they're sitting or laying down and I think about their comfort. I would have never thought of someone else's comfort like that until someone did that for me. So, I mean, there are different, like, even just like small experiences you can have that people can teach you that first can help you understand how someone sees you in the world and then it can help you like connect the dots with other people. And that I think is, if I can
0: help someone be more comfortable one day, you know, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I just feel like people get bogged down in the, I need to get married and have kids and the biological clock. And there's just this, they just put such a um, pressure on themselves and the, potential romantic partners to get married and to do these normative expressions of coupledom that I just, I feel like I'm surrounded by people who are so intensely unhappy because of the expectations that they are internalizing from the culture about what a normal adult life looks like. And that seems like a real shame to me. Um, I, that makes me like profoundly sad, actually, all the time. Especially for as frequently as I'm talking about relationships in public, it makes me pro- profoundly sad. And I, I, I think about this too with Cinder. Like, there are just so many options. Why would you? What is there to compel you to struggle through finding the languages of love when you can just swipe right? And so I feel like there, there are tons of really bizarre disincentives for doing the work of building community um like through love language that are emerging now yeah. that are making it so difficult for people to connect and just compounding their alienation and they think that the technology is connecting them but it's not connecting them and i mean sometimes it is <laughs> but on right. the whole over romantic relationships it is not Is not I mean, I think the way that relationships are
1: framed now and the way that love is framed now, I mean, it's very lean in. It's very Very much in in. line with like, yeah, the lean in mentality because it's hyper individualist and (laughs) consumatory. Consumatory. And it's like about, it's socially driven, class driven, wealth driven. It's all a part of this narrative about, living in a certain way that's very capitalist and i feel like love should be about connecting with other people in a way that's transformative you have to lean back to properly love because you have to get outside of your own interests in your own head and you can't lean in you can't lean in that's destructive
0: for relationships <laughs> it's destructive especially for women you know, who are doing all this emotional labor. And I feel like I feel like the static gender roles, even while we have this totally changing set of understandings about sexuality, is also extremely problematic to lean into your gender role and we're at a, we're at a time of such total possibility about the performance of gender and sexuality publicly seems like such a terrible move when there are all these other options that are now being normalized as imaginative futures that can challenge some of these damaging, stultifying expectations that have characterized romance for so long in the West. So I think that, for me at least, Thinking about how intimacy and trust and play and friendship and care can form a strong foundation for transformational love is really the way that we can lean back in more productive ways around romance. Thanks for listening. These materials are not endorsed, approved, sponsored, or provided by, or on behalf of the University of Arkansas, Fayetteville.